Hi, everyone. I want to thank you for taking the time to join us today on Loving Theology. What we're going to do today is wrap up a series that we've been going through on getting motivated. And I want to do that by asking one question. How does God define success? You see, our definition of success is absolutely fundamental to the process of getting motivated. It defines our target or our aim. What are we getting motivated to do after all? Moreover, last time we saw what happens whenever we have the wrong idea about what success is, about what is required of us. You see, in the parable of the talents, the third servant failed to get motivated in large part because he believed that he could never succeed. He had worked up in his mind that the master was a hard man with exacting standards that he could never meet. So instead of trying, he gave up before he even got started. Now, we saw how wrong he was about the character and expectations that the master had, but this story hits almost too close to home. Whenever we feel that we can't succeed, it's virtually impossible for any of us to get the motivation to put our all into trying. This highlights just how critical it is to have the right definition of success. Now, we might let our own ideas about what's important or about what success looks like drive our motivation. They can also subtly influence our understanding of what God expects of us. And I hope to write more on those struggles in another series. But for this series, I want to close us out this time by outlining the answer to the most fundamental question to motivation. How are we going to define success? And that starts with what is the proper definition of success? How does God define it? In 1 Corinthians 3, Paul gives us a powerful illustration of God's answer to this question. He begins by speaking of his own ministry, his own success, and he uses the analogy of building a house. Naturally, this process begins with laying a foundation. This is 1 Corinthians 3.10. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. Now, to put this analogy to work for us, we have to understand what this foundation is. And Paul tells us, no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. That's verse 11. Think of it this way. If you're aiming to build something that lasts, you must first be sure that you lay a proper foundation because it's the foundation that provides the endurance and stability. Now, a foundation provides this endurance, but it also provides boundaries or limits. If while you're building on that foundation, you start to construct rooms outside of the boundaries of the foundation, those rooms wouldn't endure. And in fact, they could even put the entire structure at risk. So if we want our work to have any chance of producing lasting success that has eternal significance, it has to be built on Christ. Anything not built on Christ will not last. Now, what does this mean for those of us who just have regular jobs, though? who don't work for a church or work in ministry. Whether you work at a church, at a Christian ministry, or just as an accountant for a company, as a stay-at-home parent, or anything in between, this verse has the same meaning and significance. None of our work automatically qualifies us, and none of us lack opportunities to do this work. However, all of our work must be examined. In fact, this lesson doesn't just apply to our job or our vocation but it is meant to apply to everything that we do. Consider these examples. As a husband and wife, we're taught to bring our spouse closer to God. That's Ephesians 5, 26. 
As a parent, we are taught to teach our children about the truths and be examples of Christ to them. Consider Deuteronomy 11.19. In relating to other believers, whether as their pastor or simply as a fellow believer, we're told to build them up in the truth and to set an example of Christian living. That's, that can be seen in 1 Timothy 4, verse 12. In relating to unbelievers, we're told to make use of the time that we have to impact them, graciously talking about the truth. That's Colossians 4, verses 5 and 6. Even in our day-to-day work, serving our employer or our family, we are taught to do so as if we are serving Christ himself, and not just a man so that people would see the positive difference that Christian living produces. That's Ephesians 6, verse 7. The theme of these examples shows us what it means to build on the foundation that is Christ, that in whatever we do, we are following the example that Christ gave us so that others might come closer to him through their interactions with us. So this is the work that we are called to do. But what does it mean to be successful in doing this work? The substance of Paul's analogy provides so much insight to this question. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians 3, starting in verse 10. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. Notice what's not in this description. It doesn't say, be careful what you build, a shack, a one-story home, or a mansion. Instead, it emphasizes how we are to build, what materials we use. I think this difference is in direct opposition to the way that we think about success. We focus so much on the results of our work as the measure of their success we think a lot about whether our neighbor will respond to the gospel if we share it, if we share it, whether our coworker will accept our invitation to church, or whether our spouse will be offended if we confront them about an issue of sin, whether our son will be mad at us if we discipline him. I think sometimes we worry so much about these results that we never end up doing the work because we aren't sure how they will respond. When we view their response As our responsibility, we become paralyzed, unable to do the work that God has called us to. But here's the good news. Christ never made us responsible for their response. He never made us responsible for the results. In other words, like we touched on last time, God does not measure our success by the results of our efforts. So our success isn't determined by how big the house is, but the quality of the materials that went into it gold, silver, precious stones, or wood, hay, or straw. In this, we can hear the echoes of 1 Samuel 16, verse 7, that God doesn't evaluate success by outward appearance or results, but by the care and quality of our efforts, by the heart behind them. However, this leaves us with a problem. The results are what's visible. The inputs are not visible to us. So how do we know if we are meeting God's definition of success? Now, Paul told us, we know that eventually it will be made known when it is tested by fire at the end of the age. But at that point, what's done is kind of done. Here's 1 Corinthians 3, starting in verse 14. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. 
though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. I don't want to wait till the end only to find out that my work didn't survive the fire and that I will suffer loss, as the verse says. It would be far better to know if we are succeeding while there is still something we can do to adjust. How can we do the same so that we might know and be able to improve the quality of materials we are using? The answer is simpler than you might think. We ask. In keeping with the example of construction, the materials that go into a building, like concrete, are often subject to testing along the way to make sure that they will last. Our conversations with God in prayer and reading of the Bible serve in this capacity to test and to improve the quality of the materials that we are using to build by showing us what's hidden from us in our hearts, like Hebrews 4 verse 12 talks about. This is where our private relationship with God fuels our public work for God. We have a series called Talking with God for more on cultivating that relationship and what that looks like. I'd encourage you to take a look. This is the good news that overcomes every challenge we've faced in this series as we've struggled together to find motivation. As we struggle with questions like, why go through all the trouble? God isn't bothered by the questions, but he's ready to encourage us. Take a look at the first post in this series. When we feel inadequate, God comforted us that he hasn't called us to be the best, but simply to be faithful. Take a look at the second post in this series. When we feel the fear of failure, God relieved us of being responsible for the outcome. Take a look at the third post in this series. And the reason that he does this is so that we could set our focus just on the work that he has called us to do and leave the results up to him, like we're talking about this time. In all of this, we can be assured of one thing, that we have never been alone. He is and has always been willing to be our partner, to carry the burden of our success, but let us feel the joy of participating in the work with him. That is all that he is asking us to do. So that leaves us with just one question. Will you partner with him? I hope that this series has been helpful to you in finding motivation. I hope that maybe it has motivated you, that it's taken some of the burden off that we all feel whenever it comes to feeling inadequate or feeling a fear of failure. And I hope that it has inspired you maybe in some way to take on a new partnership with God and to be in the work with him. You won't regret it. Thank you for spending time with us today.